0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Guys,
1: I'm bringing the party to you. Is looking at you, kid?
0: Get away from her, you you better to need a bigger pod. Welcome back, guys. It's This Is Film, the second podcast for 2020, 2020. It's actually, the date today is the second of the second, 2020. And supposedly, it's the same way forwards as it is backwards. I'm not too sure. Someone on Google told me that. I'm here with Carlo. Your name is also, if you say it backwards and forwards, it it's not, it's different each no, time. Because no, it's not.
1: Yeah, that joke doesn't work with my name whatsoever.
0: Unless we change your name to Bob uh yeah sure if you want to that's okay
1: cool i shall now be referred to bob because it's a palindrome why not let's go with it sweet bob Peratore. yeah roberto done <laughs> there we go well, oh wait that's not a palindrome anyway carry on
0: love it look uh, hey guys we are back uh we have some energy some momentum so we're going to keep talking about films Incidentally, though, we're probably going to just start the podcast with uh, in a somber, more reflective place. I'll take the lead on this one because I spent from the age of 13, so we're looking at sort of 1997, I spent 20, 20 plus years uh, following the career, the rise, the championships, the all star appearances, the MVP performances the 81 points in a single game, the 60 points in the final game, the retirement and the post-retirement life of Kobe Bryant. And we are exactly one week after the tragedy that happened in California where nine people died, uh, including Kobe and his 13-year-old daughter. You know, it's a it's a podcast about films and popular culture, but Kobe was this kind of larger-than-life uh, character. He definitely had this spirit this tenacity for perfection in his craft. Uh, And even if that rubbed people the wrong way, he did uh, amazing things with basketball and he wanted to be the best. And he got very, very close to that. I say all this because it really affected me. So I've sort of been in this kind of denial, extreme sadness. I've been depressed and very, very sad for like the last week. I've been processing it. Not only because this is a man who I looked up to and I rooted against, like I'm not a Lakers fan. I I hate the Lakers, but I I rooted against him and I hated him for so many years because he was so good. And you knew that when he had that look on his face, he was about to destroy your team. And he did it so many times to the teams that I followed. But you have to just respect just how damn good he was. But I was really enamored and excited by his post-basketball life where he was getting into the film industry he was talking to people who made films he had meetings with darren aronofsky about filmmaking in the process he'd made a uh, an award-winning an oscar award-winning short film about basketball saying dear basketball uh, a beautifully drawn animated film and and that was things he was looking forward to doing but the number one thing that i respect him for was post basketball he was going to be the best dad he could be and he has four daughters and a wife vanessa and he was loving life being a father he was uh sharing his knowledge and his wisdom with his girls especially with Gigi. and um as a film buff as a basketball fan, because basketball and film sort of uh, tied with me in terms of my my passion areas outside of my family i i coach basketball and I've coached girls' basketball for a long time, and I'm starting to share my love of basketball again and building a program. So I'm coaching quite a lot with young boys and girls, and I'm also looking forward to the one day where I can coach my own daughter and son. So knowing that the helicopter went down, father and and daughter, and the other families, mothers, fathers, daughters, going down on the, on the plane, on, on the, the helicopter, on their way to a game. It's um, soul crushing, it's devastating, and I can't help but project and think about, you know if I was in those shoes, um, losing your loved ones like that. So just wanted to take a moment just to share my sadness over that and talk it through a little bit because it's been one of those processes yeah i i just want to send out all my love and prayers and and whatever i can to the families and the victims not that they will hear this but uh just to send those out into the universe like so many other people are doing as a part of that kind of grieving process i think it's really important so yeah it's it's devastating news and on other notes so uh, i want to sort of pass it back to the world of film for a second i know it's hard to segue out of that but I wanted to get that off my chest and I will just let you know that I've been spending, I mean I already spent a lot of my time hugging my kids and kissing my kids and spending time with my kids, I try and be the best dad I can, be a race home from work Uh, I don't mind being up all night when they're crying and teething and sad and hungry, I don't mind it changing the nappies, it's it's the joy of fatherhood Um, but definitely in the wake of that news I've been spending even more time and hugging them even tighter and doing all sorts of things just to cherish each and every moment so any budding young parents out there listening to this or actual parents out there listening to this just hug your kids love them forgive those who've hurt you around you and uh, make the most of life because you don't know how long you have but segueing in carlo (laughs) yeah quite a segue yeah just to make it hard for you mate yeah uh, in the in the terms of the regular show
1: what have you been watching so, I, I have a friend of mine who has been pestering me to watch this Japanese London show called Giri Haji, and it is a Netflix show. Netflix has got this really like in, in, innate talent to like have a bunch of TV shows you've never heard of that kind of just hide in the pockets of um, the search bar, and you don't discover them until you're really, really bored one night, and you just accidentally hit start, and you've <laughs> found yourself three hours into a binge session. Um Giri Haji is about um, a, a – a, it's a really complex story. It's basically a Japanese neo-noir um, that sort of harkens back to things like Tokyo Drifter – um, and uh, you know the sort of days of Beat Takeshi, where it focuses on a, a, a Japanese cop by the name of Kenzo, um, who's tasked with trying to track down his brother brother Yuto, who's been alleged to have killed the nephew of a yakuza underworld crime boss, and he has to track down his brother before all-out war starts in Tokyo between the yakuza crime families, so that they can fill the vac the power vacuum that's been left. And it is this sort sort of great kind of cat and mouse type mesh of a Western cinema meshed with very kind of traditional Japanese noir cinema as well that I didn't think was going to work initially because it's sort of like it kind of went the sort of BBC route a little bit, but they've really taken very good care to sort of be like, no, we want to make sure that the Japanese essence of it really shines and it does in this show. And I think one of the things that I really love about the show is the fact that, while the cops aren't necessarily corrupt in the show, the best, the I think the funniest part is, is that. All the cops in the show are doing their best to try and appease the yakuza bosses, not because they're corrupt, but because they just don't want war in the streets. So they're so they're spending a lot of this time trying to be like, no, 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 it's fine. Please don't start punching on and shooting it out, you know, amongst yourselves. We will sort this. Out. We will sort this out ourselves. So it's a sort of great kind of um, uh, take on. You know, the sort of like the the whole sort of idea of Ronins and samurais and yakuza, and you know, I've yet to see a tattoo in the show, which is kind of odd. I thought there's going to be like, you know, wall-to-wall dudes, tattoos, and samurai swords, and all this sort of stuff. But it's taking a very kind of like slow burn pace to it, and I'm actually quite enjoying it a lot more that way, without sort of the uh, the whole. I guess uh, the sort of flash bang that you you would expect from more kind of like high energy Eastern cinema. I'm four episodes into an eight episode run, so so far it's gone really really well. But maybe next week I might
0: change my opinion. So who knows? <laughs> So this is going to be one of those accountability sessions where you check in one week, we'll see how you go, and then we'll progress. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. It's good. I like it. I mean, I I said this, you know, last podcast, I'm going to try and watch 150 films this year at a minimum. Uh, January has been and gone. It was a pretty successful January. However, I am now back to full-time work. As well as always full time parenting and all the rest of that stuff. So, you got this, man. Movie, I believe in you. I believe in the, you. The so movie hard. watching died down a little bit, but not too bad. So, I, right. I think, well, one last week and then I watched one today. And today's the start of a new week. It's a Sunday. So, you know, depending on how you count your weeks, I watched two films. So, you actually brought up that you watched some Japanese television. Yep. And that you're, you're mentioning a lot of buzzwords there, like Yakuza and Ronin and whatnot. So, I'm like, cool. That sounds like a show I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. The problem with Netflix and their business model is they dump so much content all the time every week and all of it at once for the most part that you're going I don't have the time I just don't <laughs> and things get lost like I never saw Manhunter really and went, yeah well I watched half of season one got distracted and then everyone's raving about Manhunter season two and I'm like that's right I really love that show <laughs> but like Because Netflix dumps so much, and not just Netflix, like it's Netflix and Amazon Prime and uh, what have we got here? Stan. You know, like we've got all these different things and now Disney Plus. So I'm just just constantly drowning in options and it's hard when you're going, I really want to plug the gaps in my cinematic knowledge, but you're going, ooh, there's a new shiny Japanese Yakuza show over here. I'm like, that sounds good. Like I haven't finished (laughs) The Witcher yet. I've done the first episode of The Witcher and I'm like, okay. I like the game. You know, he makes a pretty damn good Geralt. He yep. nails the voice. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I haven't gotten back to it. So that's that's my my pledge is to watch those 150-plus films and all these other shows that are on the <laughs> peripheries of my life. Just do what you uh, can. Just do what you uh, can. Oh, look. Speaking of Netflix and speaking of Japanese, yep. uh, I was very delighted because for the last year... I have been going I want to start watching Studio Ghibli films with my my daughter in my family. I want to start doing this and it's very hard until recently to watch those films. So they're not available on Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that, or iTunes. So I, I went to iTunes going, surely these films would be available. So the only way to watch these films in Australia is physically buying them. And until recently, I had given up on buying physical media. Mm-hmm. So back in 2016, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just going to buy digitally now. And then iTunes royally screwed me over. I don't know if I told you about this controversy, Carlo, no, but- I'm ready for it though. Just a a warning out there, guys. iTunes can change what's available in their library, which affects your library at any moment. And if they change the quality of the film you've purchased, that's what you're stuck with. So for the last two, three years, because I've been waiting and waiting to buy my 4K TV... Uh, I've been buying 4K iTunes Apple things and waiting, waiting, waiting to watch them. I finally get my 4K TV back in sort of October, November last year, and I'm going cool. I have like 15, 20 films saved up for this moment: Endgame, Infinity War, Us, um, Blade Runner 2049, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I go to watch them, and they've been downgraded to HD. <laughs> Oh, it's not Sorry. funny,
1: Jan. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's oh, kind of oh, funny in a sort of cosmic,
0: karmic yeah. kind of way. But oh. what did I do? What did I do to the universe? I, don't, I feel like I I'm a pretty know. good person. I feel like I'm very supportive. Like the cinematic gods, the old gods and the new. I feel like I've been very kind to the cinematic gods, spreading good cheer and goodwill towards all cinema most of it some of it actually this is probably payback for killing hellboy isn't
1: it oh, yeah i mean look to be fair that review was i had to put out some fires because of that review that that
0: review was quite like yeah you took a flamethrower to that one that was <laughs> so uh, look yeah maybe maybe the cinematic universe and the gods hate me um so look I lost my trail of thought there, but uh, but that's what iTunes did to me. So, I kind of got freaked out by iTunes. I'm like, right, back to physical media. Anyway, my point is this. <laughs> Studio Chipley is now available uh, in parts... Uh, on Netflix, across the world, That's right. obviously, Australia. So, yeah. uh, as of, I think it was February 1st or February 2nd, they released uh, a batch of their catalogue, their back catalogue. So, they're going to do it, I believe it's the 1st of February, the 1st of March, and the 1st of April. So, we're getting sort of six, seven, eight films at a time. Uh, I'm not sure uh, exactly how many we get each time, but... Um, some, of the, some of the more popular earlier ones are now available uh, including a film called My Neighbor Totoro. now I have seen in drips and drabs this film and I have seen a number of other sort of Miyazaki Studio Ghibli films but I haven't actually watched this one the whole way through mm. so this for me was like cool I'm going to watch this properly for the first time I'm going to watch it with my daughter I even did some web searching, some googling to make sure that it was appropriate for a girl of about 3-4 and they said yeah yeah this is one of the more accessible easy ones uh, and I'm watching it going, this is beautiful, this is enchanting, this is wonderful. And I'm having a good time the whole way through. The only thing I would say is that when Totoro actually uh, belges and, and roars, it's actually quite a blood curdling roar. Uh, so I'm going, oh, that, that could upset my kid at any moment. It didn't, <laughs> she was really good with it. But I'm going, oh, that's, ooh, for a G rated film, I feel like that's quite an intense, visceral uh, response out of the creature's mouth. And I'm watching it and enjoying it and having a blast. And then I read fan theories directly afterwards. Oh no, Car- yeah, Carlo, no. do you know any of them? I, 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 no, I stay well away. You, you know,
1: my propensity for like my hatred towards fan theories, <laughs> particularly when it comes to sort of like Marvel stuff. I just stay well away from them because nothing will put my fist faster through my computer than a fan theory. <laughs> I can't well, look, stand
0: them. Well, here's one. <laughs> Okay, well, off you go then. Enraged me. Well, here's one. So, look, I the basic story is two girls, of which the English dub version I found out. Here's a cool little popular thing. Uh, Elle and Dakota Fanning play the sisters in the English dub version. I was going to want to watch the the Japanese one. My wife's like, no, don't do that to our daughter. She needs to understand what's going on. I'm like, (laughs) yeah. I was going to put subtitles on for my three year old who can't read yet. Oh, come on now.
1: Like, you, sometimes you just have to throw your child in the deep end. It's like, okay, come on. Look, you know, how, catch else, up.
0: how else is she going to become bilingual? How okay, else is, is she going to... to read at an early age? Come on. <laughs> Look, she's actually got a photographic memory, so it's possible that after watching like, you oh, know, that's the, the film 3 times, she comes out and can speak like fluent Japanese. Like it, it wouldn't surprise me. So that's, that's why you can't ever yeah. say anything too bad in front of her because it will come back. So you All have right. to watch well, every I'll note it. next time I like I pay a visit to the family house and drop a few F bombs in her presence <laughs> by accident, <True>. so. yes <laughs> It's like earmuffs, Tyler, and everyone else. <laughs> uh, look, so story of two girls. They they go to live in the countryside with their father. Their father works in at the university. Uh, and the house uh, is somewhat haunted slash there are mystical, magical creatures around. That's basically the premise. It's, it's very, very light on narrative. The mother is sick in a hospital. They go to visit. She's going to come and try and visit once she gets better. That's a basic concept. And eventually they discover this gigantic cat-like puffy pillow thing called Totoro <laughs> who when they when he growls is incredibly terrifying but like does whimsical magical things like flying and making things grow and it's just a beautiful ride I don't want to do spoilers here there isn't too much in terms of narrative I don't mm. want to do spoilers uh, but obviously like the narrative uh, leads to a certain point and it's all pretty light and wonderful and then I get onto the internet and going by the way Totoro is actually a symbol for the angel of death <laughs> <laughs> and he is the grim reaper and the only reason these kids can see this thing no. is because they're going to no. die. No.
1: Come on, that's not that's not fair. That's not fair. I haven't seen my neighbor Totoro before, so now I'm I i can not I I can't watch it now going into <laughs> that going, These two children are dead. No.
0: Well that's the thing. It's like at no point in the film when am I thinking that in the slightest. No. And there is all this evidence to counter this point, but there's also what I've now seen is massive communities, including fan art, of people purporting this. Legend onto the film, so I think there's enough people out there, and there's enough evidence within the film itself to say that's absolute crap. But there is a strong contingent of people on the internet who are really championing this cause. So, well, I mean, it is the internet, and there's always a strong contingent of people talking crap anyway. So, yes, yes, you know, and I mean, like Republicans didn't even want to see witnesses in a trial, so like Mm, you know. (laughs)
1: We, were, we weren't supposed to talk politics, Shane. I know, okay, I know. We're I'm here sorry. Now. That's all right. I'm we'll sorry. just move on. Quick, I've quick, crossed quick. the line.
0: Look, <laughs> I actually generally love My Neighbor Totoro, and a part of my 150 films for the year is I'm going to smash a lot of Miyazaki and a lot of Ghibli over the next few months. So, you know, uh, keep me honest with that one. I will. But so far, beautiful, lovely film. Uh, I don't believe it's The Angel of Death, although interesting fan theory. Look, speaking of death... Uh, <laughs> Yep. I watched a film called The Lighthouse, uh, which I now... You know how we were sort of talking Oscars last week and yep. the internet will never know this, but you and I spoke quite lengthy about um, the, the snubs. Yep. Uh, I ended up editing it and cutting it out because otherwise the podcast went for far too long. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so in terms of like keeping it tight, that sort of never saw the light of day. Um, and we might get back to it later on, but... I now cannot understand for the life of me why William Dafoe or Robert Pattinson, but mainly William Dafoe, is not nominated for an Oscar Mm. for either Best Supporting or Best Actor. It's- it's absurd. Um, I walked out of that theater going, both Defoe and Pattinson are in God mode. God-tier mode of acting. And this is the kind of film where when the invite came out, I kind of messaged us all on our WhatsApp thing and I said, hey, guys, Lighthouse, who's coming with me? And no one wants to respond. <laughs> and, you were, and you were like, look, I don't live near you, but I'm not going to know, even if I did. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's, so,
1: that's too much weird for me. I think I have a theory that they got snubbed because the, the, the film surrounding it was just too weird and perhaps their performances were just too weird, maybe, but I have yet to see the film, so...
0: Look, I actually think it's one of those things where I have no idea who I can recommend this film to. You can't. But it's, t- it's totally mesmerizingly worth watching. It's absolutely bug nuts. And I walked into that film going, this is going to be bug nuts, totally bug nuts. But what I didn't know was my drama background. I studied drama both in high school and university in theater. I had no idea this is going to come in handy because I'm watching the film going, "Man, this is reminding me of something." And I walked out and people were sort of mulling over their thoughts and people couldn't define what what was hitting them. And then it hit me. I'm going, "Oh my gosh, this is waiting for Godot." This oh. is like <laughs> theatre of the absurd. This is existentialism. This is yeah. and and then the entire film made sense then because I'm going, oh my gosh, it's two characters waiting for something that's not coming. Yeah, and it, I don't I don't know if you know Samuel Beckett's play at all if you studied theatre or drama at, at high school. I know it, I know of it. Yeah, you know of it. Yeah, like yeah. it's one of those like paramount sort of uh texts yeah and it's uh, sort of been redone in different ways yeah. and like, like um, professor yeah. professor x and magneto played these characters like yeah. patrick stewart and ian mckellum played these two on stage there was the did you did you ever see that film the um the,
1: the, about the two italian brothers called the big night which was about these sort of two italian chefs who were trying to like keep their restaurant open and the whole idea is for them to have like this big financier who's going to come and you know, and so like the entire film is sort of surrounding them and then he just no.
0: never shows up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, like this like is that. not a new concept. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine Wedding Forgotto but like in a dirty, disgusting kind of lighthouse with two men jammed in this tight location with this impending doom and gloom and like this ferocious storm and lightning and the, the waves are crashing and smashing into the building itself. Like... It's. It couldn't have been any clearer now that I realise the connection that it was. But like, Waiting for God is all about this kind of existential angst and philosophy, and it's about like this conflict between religious and spiritual beliefs. And one character in Waiting for Godot is like, God fearing and waiting for sort of this like religion and spirituality to lead them and to teach them the meaning of life. And the other one's impatient, going, No, 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 we we're going to die if we do that. We need to just go and live our lives. We need to move forward and do this kind of stuff. And I couldn't, you know, these two characters couldn't be more the same. Like Defoe wants to stick around, um, serve the light. Mm-hmm. Pattinson's not allowed to service the light whatsoever. Uh, he can't go anywhere near it. Uh, and weird stuff happens. Just weird out there, crazy stuff happens. Yeah. Like Pattinson beats a seagull to death. Um, <laughs> and, and you're going, it's kind of this ferocious intensity. Like William is acting is so damn good that he has got soil poured all over his face and he's still spouting out this monologue the whole time. And he's like chewing on soil and it's filling his mouth and he's still talking and doing his thing. So I don't want to go into spoilers because I can't even remember half the crazy crap that happened, but it does have one of my, uh, it's kind of, if I was to have a Shane cinematic happy place like Carlo uh, of which everyone go to this film right now and see Carlo's amazing list because I agree (laughs) with pretty much all of his things. End game sort of being at the top there is definitely and definitely. also the uh, the ballet us oh, yeah. uh, sequence yep. you and I both love all that but uh but yeah but definitely um, there's a moment of sound design and and color and light and not color but this black and white but mm. just light and sound design that is truly mesmeric I, I, it kind of was one of these films where I needed something big to happen at some stage for it to totally land for me. And then that big moment happened and I wasn't sure what I wanted, but it delivered something beyond what I thought. So go see The Lighthouse if you like weird, existential, insane, horror, thriller, arthouse weirdness. Look, uh, that's what we've want, been watching. A really We've got like one sort of main topic we want to get to but there's really one last thing that we've watched. Uh, and it's not really a, a film, but it's more so a trailer. And this is the weekend of Super Bowl. So we're going to get a butt-ton of trailers coming out. And there are more to talk, to talk about. But there's really just one big one. It's, it's pretty fast, and it's fairly furious. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the ninth iteration. It's the um. bottom of the ninth right now. Um, there's, there's been a number of these films. Carlo, can you talk about the four-minute-long trailer that was Fast 9? I don't even know where to start.
1: Actually, I've, all I got in my head is the idea of a jet stealth bomber, like magnetically picking up <laughs> an airborne Mustang flying through the air. Okay, so you—I don't know like what it's like in Aussie families, but I know that in a lot of Italian families, like the nonna, she likes to have her stories, right? So you'll come home <laughs> from school, and it's four thirty in the afternoon, and you'll find your grandmother sitting in front of the TV watching The Bold and the Beautiful, right? Have you, right. ever, have you ever watched an episode of The Bold and Beautiful?
0: Look, in passing, but I can't say I it
1: religiously subscribe n- to it. It is mental. It is a mental show. Like, there is nothing on there that makes sense. That's basically what Fast 9, the, the Fast and Furious franchise, has turned into. It's turned into your grand, like your ethnic grandmother's like, long-running serial show where... <laughs> like brothers that you didn't even know existed turn up dead characters come back to life after four or five things you know and at some point it's so psychotic that you kind of just go yeah whatever all right i'm just gonna go with it here's my cash i'm there bro let's let's do this yeah john cena's a toretto now all right fine let's go okay cool yeah fine whatever So, uh, I don't even know where to start with this trailer. I mean, do we, do we talk about Charlize Theron's bowl cut, a haircut, the fact that Helen Mirren just shows up out of nowhere? Um, I mean, you know, she is Shaw's mum, So, uh, but I'm sure Jason Statham's going to make an appearance at some point. <laughs> um, do, uh, what else was there? Uh, oh, uh, oh f- the bridge. So, there's, the, there's a, a crumbling bridge that they're driving along, That apparently can support their weight. And then, what's his name? Vin Diesel decides to use what's left of the bridge as some kind of like anchor. Thing which kind of made me go, well, we don't need an uncharted movie anymore because there it is. <laughs> okay,
0: my notes here is Vin Diesel goes full Nathan Drake swinging around the oh, jungle. Same. Perhaps this is the uncharted movie we will never get. Yep, that's that it. It's I have nothing to say about this, but that was one of my three notes. Yeah, <laughs> Holland, go home, bro. It's over.
1: <laughs> go home. It's done. No, like, it's done. But I, it's game it's game it's just one of those. I was talking to my friend last night, and she was just like. After, like, the fifth film, don't these movies just start turning into, like, direct-to-DVD franchise things? And I'm like, normally, yes. But for some reason, this one has just been able to bypass that entirely. And through just sheer will and people who love hotted-up cars, just keep repeating like just continually just show up over and over and over again as if it's 1999 or Upset, 2000 any, sorry any
0: section of our audience I don't want to like alienate or call you out but the <laughs> worst premieres are the Fast and Furious <laughs> premieres
1: it's just usually hats and usually, monster energy drinks everywhere bro I don't know if like the bro. same
0: thing down in Melbourne but in Brisbane what we get is we usually get two theatres Uh, We get the general audience sort of Nova radio (laughs) call-in people and we get the film critics. And I'm so grateful we had the film critics one because the other one is full of some of the most loud, I'll say the word obnoxious, (laughs) (laughs) hardcore rev heads. And they look like characters from the fast and furious they're like they're like <laughs> my, they're
1: like my friends man they put the nos they put the nos sticker on the car man because the max oh. will go faster
0: <laughs> i had a uh, speaking of that i said what's the next film gonna be because like they're like the things they're doing with cars now like flying through like the cars keep flying yeah i'm just thinking is the next film gonna literally go interstellar and is the next film gonna be like fast 10 nos in space that's I what think, i was thinking
1: <laughs> i think that should just like, launch a rock Like, they should literally just put Tyrese Gibson into a rocket and just launch yeah. him into space, and the whole film is just him screaming. <laughs> that's it. That's Fast 10. Done.
0: Justin Lin, give me a call, bro. <laughs> left cheek. Left cheek. Yep. That's, that's, that's all I ever remember Tyrese yep. Gibson from Transformers. That's like that. Oh, and yeah. screaming in Fast and Furious franchise yeah. films.
1: That's it. That's it. Because he used to be the cool character, too. Yeah. Like, he, he started off as, like, in Fast and Furious 2. He was the cool character that everybody wants to be. And he's, like, shirt off, he's a six-pack. and it's a, Now he's just the screaming dude in the, ch- in the car that no one likes.
0: <laughs> well, look, uh, there's two things that bother me with this trailer. Uh, and you can explain at least one of them to me. Yep. The first one was, like, how much do you want to echo the Avengers with the first 30 seconds of your trailer, Um, the warehouse farmyard look (laughs) and the notes, the piano notes that dun, 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 like seriously. And then like the dad figure being with the child in the bedroom talking about loving them forever. I'm like, this is literally a combination of Infinity and Endgame, a little bit of Age of Ultron in there as well. I'm going, you're trying to copy some of that disney marvel moolah you're trying to you know fast and furious already makes its money like just separate yourselves from that you don't have to go you don't have to go the avengers route Now because
1: because, like ending is ending a franchise is now a genre in itself (laughs) and we know that there's going to be a fast and furious 10 but for you know for the sake of making a couple more billion they have to pretend like oh this is the end man nah nah It's
0: it's not how it works and we and we just have like Vin Diesel, you know, in front of a car somewhere, going. And I am Dominic Toretto. <laughs> he snaps his fingers, yeah, pretty. And then much. nothing happens. He just drives. Yeah, and just the movie just keeps going. Yeah, so, I uh, Look, the other thing is like, is Han like a Tupac hologram? Um, so uh, how's Han back? I that dude died. Uh, I don't know, man. See, my theory was
1: was that what happened was is that the producers were like, okay. We have to kill Han in Tokyo Drift, all right. There needs to be some kind of an emotional way. Oh, everyone likes Han, all right. Well, why don't we like just flash back in Fast Four and Five, and uh, yeah, Fast fours and Five, right? And we'll make we'll make it. We'll bring him back because everyone loves him, right? But he's still dead. The problem is, is that when they brought Jason Statham on board the audience has started loving him too. So we're like, oh, no, we've turned him into a good guy and now the Han <laughs> killing doesn't make any sense anymore. So now we have to kind of just like retcon our own crap. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've just written ourselves into a corner. So, uh, But but they are working with Fast and Furious Logic, so anything they do doesn't actually matter and they're still going to make a billion dollars out of it anyway. So who cares? <laughs> Hans so, back, Jason what, Statham's a good guy. Who cares? You know, run your narrative.
0: So yeah, because I, I, like I don't I don't follow these films for narrative, so it, it was Jason Statham who kills him originally, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, it's no. It, <laughs> originally, it was just he ran a red light in the Tokyo Drift, <laughs> yeah. right? And then they retcon that, and they're like, "No, him running a red light's not badass enough. The guy who ran the red light has to be Jason Statham." Uh. <laughs> you know, they're like, "Oh, plot <laughs> twist!" And the whole, and it worked too. I was in the audience when I saw that film, yeah. and like Jason Statham gets out of the car, and like the car explodes, and all my mates were like, oh, "Bro," and like. <laughs> they're all high-fiving each other and they're downing monster energy drinks and all that sort of stuff. And, we're all, you know... they got, the, they got a bag of Doritos yeah, next to them as well. they're bumping and, you know, popcorn's flying everywhere and they're like, yeah, more bald dudes. Um, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, it's just fast and furious
0: logic. You just have to go with it, man. Like, okay, that's it. Okay, because I thought, like, there's a cool joke making its way around the internet that, like... Because it's so fast and so furious, they've literally gone so fast and so furious around (laughs) the world that they've actually reversed time a la like Superman. Superman, yep. (laughs) And look, that Pontiac in the trailer does is made to look slightly like a DeLorean. Um, it is, so, and the dude wearing the puffy red jacket as well. Yes, yeah. So I'm going. I'm thinking there's some really like not well hidden winks to the audience about some kind of reversal of things. Uh, look, who, I mean, the thing is, is like this is not winning any kind of Oscars. You go there to no. turn your brain off and to see things go boom, crash, zoom. So yep you know like whatever we'll, we'll sit there and we'll enjoy it i, I enjoyed enough I, i'm not really into these films as much as the uh, most people i kind of didn't mind five when the rock was properly introduced and you know the idea of having a sort of safe being used as a battering ram along a highway yeah. and a lot of that a lot of that being justin lynn doing it practically i thought well cool that looks good because it's practical the more it gets absurd with like Uncharted Nathan Drake swinging, uh, you know, in and out of jungles and whatnot, that kind of, when it goes beyond what we can actually physically achieve with cars Mm -hmm. in in practical stunts, I I don't like it as much because it looks like a cartoon. So
1: so that's your line, is it? Not the rock commandeering a live (laughs) submarine missile to explode a tank on thin ice. Yeah, well, doesn't he change his trajectory just by touching it? No, he literally (laughs) grabs the entire thing and pushes it towards a tank. And everyone just went, fine. <laughs> there
0: you go. Yeah. Here's another billion. <laughs> People don't have to go see this movie. They just have to hand over their wallets. Yeah, just pretty the- much. Yeah. <laughs> and then the wallet inspector. <laughs> I can't believe that worked. So. Here's a wallet. Here's a spin off. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, that's Fast 9. Uh, yep. I think the last thing we want to do is we, we were going to try and do a tidy, tidy podcast. I and mean, look, yep. we can kind of get there. We're in getting the there. End. We're getting there. Look, look, it's 2020. It's the second of the second 2020. We talked about this earlier. But, dude, what are the films? If you could say these are the two, three, four, five films I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to this year because I had a bit of a look through what's to come. And I could only write down one. And then when I had another look, I could write down two. And then when you told me this was the topic tonight, I wrote down a third. Yep. So in in previous years, I would usually make a list on Letterboxd going, my most anticipated films of the year. And usually I can hit up to 25. Yep. This year, unless I've just got my head in the ground somewhere, there hasn't been as many leaping off the page to me. So you tell me what I'm missing out on and <laughs> I might interject. But you go. What What are you looking forward to in 2020? Okay, so
1: I've got five that I'm really excited about. First one's Birds of Prey because oh, yes. that to me looks like what Suicide Squad should have been. Um, and a word, the word of mouth coming out is that it is absolutely bug nuts insane. Um, and I'm quite excited by that. And plus it's got one of my favourite cinematographers behind it, Matthew Libertik. So, so it looks... It looks, mm, 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 it looks like a, a, a like a like a nice sort of like a, like chocolate cheesecake. So I'm really, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really really excited about that one, man. The magpie in me is loving all the shiny things about that movie. Um, the second one is The Invisible Man, directed by Lee Whannell. Now this one's a really interesting one because it's a different. It's it's by it's behind. Uh, so Blumhouse is behind it. Um, it's a really interesting take. On the original Invisible Man, because what it's doing is it's meshing the idea, well, not the idea, also like the sort of the, the, the sort of the, hor- the the horrific idea of being within an abusive relationship, where um, oh jeez, I forgot her name, um, Moss. Is it, not, uh, not, Elizabeth uh, Moss. Elizabeth Moss plays this woman who escapes an abusive relationship, and it turns out that her her ex fakes his own death. Um, and finds a way to turn himself invisible and then basically torments her that way. Um, And so it slowly gaslights her and slowly drives her insane. And Mm. that to me is brilliant. I think that is like the, probably the most brilliant thing of like you know way that you could twist that kind of genre on its head. Um, well,
0: speaking, speaking of that film, we've actually got tickets for that one coming up. That's our next competition. Oh so, yeah, I'm seeing that um, bad boy this Tuesday, so boy. I'm I'm seeing it this Wednesday? No, hold on. I think I'm seeing Birds of Prey this Wednesday. Yep. and Invisible Man next Tuesday. So I've got like one per week. But yeah, but that's actually one as well that I kind of it was low on my radar, and then I saw that one Elizabeth Moss chose to do it. Elizabeth Moss doesn't usually choose to do anything bad. No. Um, you know she she usually takes. Um, I mean, this is she had Mad Men fame. Um. I think she did, what, The Handmaid's Tale is yep. like her big thing recently. Yep. I mean, even just having like a bit part in Us, like she's still really good. And she did that crazy film about uh, her and it was her and her husband. Is it a Mark Duplass? Yep. Um,
1: oh, okay. yeah. I saw that. I saw that at MIFF one year and it just absolutely yes. melted my brain.
0: Yeah. Like really interesting, yep. cool film. Something I love. Oh, I, uh, yeah, no. The One I Love. No, yeah, The One I Love. Yep, the the one, one I Love. I love. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It's really, really clever film. So I think she's kind of like a Robert Pattinson in a way where she chooses really interesting projects. Mm. And so the film might not be like your favorite film or even High on Your Radar, but usually, there's some really good stuff in it. So, anything that she does, I'm, I'm mildly interested in and usually will support. Uh, plus, it's Lee Winell. So, yep. what, Australian, Melbourne, Victorian. Melbourne boy, um, yep. Melbourne boy, like Victorian horror filmmaker. So, I really quite liked his last film, Upgrade. Uh, so, I I will support what he does. I think he's got a unique idea about horror. And yeah, you know, The Invisible Man, take that concept of someone who, you know, turns himself invisible, but completely change, you know, their motives mm. uh, and make it about a sort of abusive relationship and someone trying to flee that and being unable to escape uh, that cycle of violence and victimization. And so I'm thinking yeah. it's a really cool concept. Yeah. And the whole idea of like,
1: you know, no one believing, no one believing you about your abuse that you're, that you're, yeah. you're suffering. So it's a, it's a yeah. seriously interesting way to sort of portray that.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's something that I was thinking about, but like just hearing you say it again really reinforces that idea that we sort of live in a society where we are skeptical towards victims yeah, uh, and we're trained to kind of doubt them. So yep. what happens if this is actually physically happening but there is no physical way to prove it because the person has done something diabolical and twisted yep. in the process as well. So really interesting. But yeah, keep going, man. So I'm with you on that one. Yep. I'm with you with both of those so far. The next, what were the next three? The
1: next three. So the next one is called Relic. Now, Relic's yeah. an interesting one. Relic is a feature film debut by a woman named Natalie James, who I went to film school with. Um, oh, cool. She had her premiere at Sundance. Now, Natalie's a really interesting filmmaker because she's she's, Jap- uh, she's American-born, she's a Japanese-Australian um, filmmaker. And one of the things that I really, really love about her style is the fact that she's probably one of the few people that have able to sort of like, west not westernize, but she's able to sort of infuse kind of like J-horror, Um, sensibilities uh, into sort of a western format that doesn't feel ripped off she sort of makes it her own she did a short film called Cresswick and it creeped the crap out of me when I saw it at MIFF a couple of years ago and I thought I can't wait to see what she's going to do for her next feature and so she's got this film coming out that is about um, a sort of allegory about dementia and old age um, and stars uh, Emily Mortimer Um, and it's been getting really, really good reviews at Sundance. Um, it gets a release sometime. Umbrella, uh, Umbrella Distributions is uh, releasing it here in Australia at some point, um, but that's, some, that's one on my radar that I'm really, really excited about.
0: I'm looking at it right now yep. on the Screen Australia website. And in terms of like names behind you, helping you out. So, dude, has, she's got the
1: Russo brothers behind she's her. She's got
0: the Russo brothers. And she's also got Jay Gildenhall. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, producing and executive producing. So, among others. So, I'm yep. just going, okay. So, obviously, she's shown enough yep. to have people of that clout. Yeah. Um. You know, give it some distribution. Give it some money. So I'm going. This is cool. So yeah. again. So. Uh. So. So she studied in Australia. So she she's studied. A- yeah.
1: She studied in Australia from. I. I'm, I. met her towards the tail end of my time uh, at film school. Um. But yeah, she studied in Australia. But she's been doing a lot of stuff all over. The, all over the world. She's a very sort of globe trotting type of individual. Um, ah, so can we can we
0: officially claim her
1: as an Aussie or not? Probably uh, not. I think we can. I've seen her enough times
0: in Australia to claim her as an Aussie, so I'm doing it. And look, it is it is calling itself an Australian feature relic. So yep. that's yep. cool. Let's go. Austra- Screen
1: Australia is helping funding it, so might as well.
0: Uh, Okay, your last two, man. What are they? My last two. I'm leaving the last
1: one to last because I think I know what this one is for you. (laughs) Uh, So the second last one is Last Night in Soho, which is the new Edgar Wright horror film. I'm just really excited because A, it's Edgar Wright and B, it's an Edgar Wright horror film, which I don't think he's ever done before aside from elements in, say... Uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead but he is taking inspiration from films like Don't Look Now and Repulsion films that are about sort of the uh, uh, sort of um, questioning your reality psychological disturbance um, you know are things that are happening real are they not you know so I and, and what I'm really fascinated by is that knowing Edgar Wright and knowing his sort of film language and how well he knows this stuff I feel like he's probably going to make one of the most genuine, genuinely scary films of all time.
0: Okay, I should have had this one on my radar. So this is making me feel a bit better about life because, yeah, I mean, absolutely, Edgar Wright's one of my homeboys. You yep. and I are big Edgar Wright fans. Yep. You know, I, I put Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, I put those as like top 20, 30 films of all time for me. Uh, He speaks my cinematic language. We have a shared love for his cinematic language. Um, I'm just looking at the cast list now. And um, Thames and Mackenzie was uh, really, really awesome and Never Leave a Trace. Yep. Uh, and I believe she's in Jojo Rabbit as well she is and she's
1: amazing in Jojo Rabbit so
0: she's a you know a wonderful little New Zealand actress very very young I think she's 19 years old Mm. so you know great Uh, and Anya Taylor-Joy's in this as well so from The Witch Witch and Split and Glass so Mm. she's also great so uh, and Diana Riggs in this so she plays uh, she's in Game of Thrones she's uh, oh I'm forgetting her character's name even though I love her and she's amazing (laughs) Uh, Elena Elena Terrell I got it so she's the whole tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she she is just magnetic on screen. She's she's totally the worst person to to have a words fight with. Yep. Uh, she'll strip you to pieces. So just knowing that she's in this film as well, just knowing what he can do. But I'm thinking of you mentioned the horror elements that came out, like the slasher elements that mm. came out in Hot Fuzz. Uh, I'm thinking about his turn in Grindhouse when he did his oh, fake trailer. Don't. Yes. Don't. Oh, and how he yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like all of Tarantino and Rodriguez's mates made these fake trailers, but it was Edgar Wright's fake trailer that actually stood out as, Oh, that's genuinely creepy. Yeah, like, like genuinely disturbing stuff. Genuinely disturbing stuff. Like really crazy amounts of like shock horror imagery yeah I'm, th- I'm thinking in particular of the girl who's like screaming at the camera as like her eyes are bleeding white and her hands and all that yep. stuff so really really cool imagery so don't uh if it's anything like don't which you know it could be yeah uh totally stoked for and look do you want me to mention mine before we get to yours because i'm assuming we have a shared one for the end do it okay so i didn't even realize again sometimes these like productions in the future I don't always think about and then I'm like oh that's right I love that director we get a new film Uh, one of those films is is, uh, Wes Anderson so we get a new Wes Anderson film this year called The French Dispatch oh yeah
1: I forgot about that one
0: I know nothing about it except that it's Wes Anderson that's coming out therefore it's possibly going to get at least a four star out of me between four and five star that's what I give Wes Anderson Films. He's yet to let me down. Yep. Uh, so that's really, really good. I'm going to mention the other one that I don't think you're going to mention as your last one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mention, possibly this This could be between this these, these two, but this one could be the film of the year for me, uh, depending on how things fall out. Denny Villeneuve's June. <laughs> oh, so, yes. Yep. So, so we get that in December and I was a ginormous fan of Blade Runner 2049, but not so much when I first watched it. Mm. I really appreciated it in the film And then it was just the months that passed afterwards where I'm like, oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. And it just grew and grew and grew. So his vision and what he pulled off, uh, because I was on a high with Denis Villeneuve. Mm. And so he kind of did something a little different. It was still in his wheelhouse, but it was a little different. But um, obviously for those who don't know him, he did Prisoners. He did Sicario. He did a film called Enemy, which has the most terrifying final second last shot or last shot ever in a film for me. Mm. Uh, I was not expecting it. Uh, I was going on this journey the whole time, the psychological horror journey the whole time. I was totally engaged. And then that last shot, that second last shot he does, actually freaked the hell out of me. It got under my skin. (laughs) uh, And then the film ends. And I'm like, great. I have that in my head for the rest of my life. I will... (laughs) I will die with that image etched into my brain. So Enemy is fantastic. But yeah, Denis Villeneuve is is really legit. So seeing him take this classic science fiction uh, literature that's been made by David Lynch and other people have had a crack at it, I'm really curious to see what he does with it. So I don't know much about the Dune lore, or the story itself, I'm going to stay out of it. I want to go in as completely fresh as possible. I was thinking about watching the David Lynch version. I still might, just so, because I I would assume they're very, very different and on a whole different sort of realm. Uh, but yeah, very much looking into that. But look, the one film that I am desperately looking forward to, and you can call me a film bro, yep. which is this derogatory term for anyone who seems to like a couple of directors, one of them being Christopher Nolan. Yep. <laughs> yeah um, i know where you're going <laughs> but tenet. Tenet, you know talk about a palindrome yep uh so um that's you know from what i've heard we've got something special on our hands here mm-hmm. uh people have seen the first 15 20 minutes uh and they, they couldn't stop yeah there's there's been like people i think I think Kevin Smith or Kevin Smith's friends or someone when they went and saw Star Wars I might be getting stories convoluted here but I'm pretty sure uh, when they went and saw a different film, they got treated to like 15, 20 minutes <laughs> That's the right.
1: tenet. Yeah, there's a Yeah, there, there's a special preview playing ahead of one of the yeah. IMAX screenings. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so, you know, and, and then we finally got that. We got that weird random trailer that showed us absolutely nothing except for some, like, masks. Yeah. Uh, and then we got the full trailer of which we're going, oh, he's, like, doing Inception yeah. and Memento. Yeah, at smash once. together yeah. at once I'm going oh that's good because <laughs> like Memento is my jam Like yeah. Meme- if I was to never watch a film again except for one Memento probably would be my choice Yeah. Um, I, I mean I, I love all of his work um, but Memento is one of those very special films to me uh, the way that he's able to play with forward and backward narrative mashing uh, to come to the particular place and the fact that that film sets up Lenny to be a sympathetic character pretty much throughout mm. and then there's like a single shot that completely derails that all that information thing, yeah. and you miss it. If you don't look at it properly, you miss it. And then just what that means, that the, mm. the, the enormity of that single second shot and everything we've seen before and after and the way you re- re- reflect on it. So it's one of those films that I show kids to talk about narrative and how you can tell stories in really interesting ways. It doesn't have to be uh, the most... Crazy narrative out there it could be about a man whose wife dies and he tries to solve the murder mystery but if you tell the story in an interesting way by dicing and slicing the narrative it can be quite powerful so here we are with Tenet again we don't know much there's a couple of good actors in there that we've seen float around the place I believe the main actor is um, he was the guy from Black Kings, uh, yeah, Klansman?
1: Black Klansman, yeah, and Paul is his Denzel Washington's son, which I hate saying yeah. because he's actually a decent actor in his own right. Yes, um, <laughs> not to not to not to pigeonhole him at all, not to pigeonhole him as someone else's, you know, son, but. Uh, no, nah, he was in Black Klansmen and he was in um, uh, Ballers
0: and he was re- he he was amazing in Black Klansmen. So we've got yeah. So it's John David Washington is yep. who we're talking about, but also like you know the man of the hour, Robin Pattinson's in it, uh, Elizabeth Debicki's in it, who was in phenomenal in. Um uh, the heist film Widows yep. uh, and so she and obviously Michael Caine going to be in this film uh, as he always is, have you, is have, in you this s- film.
1: have you seen the commentary around how Robert Pattinson looks in Tenet the fact no. that he's basically like copying Christopher Nolan's look from when he was in his mid-twenties oh really yeah go have a look That's- at the photo and he actually looks like he's about okay. to sell
0: um, his first screenplay oh really yeah it's okay. amazing I'm going to look it all up now yeah uh, so- <laughs> Um, so yeah so look uh, Tenet looks like it's going to be amazing so that's you and I that's kind of what we're looking forward to the most mm-hmm. uh, is there anything else that's sort of sticking out to you in 2020 man or is that about it that's pretty much oh Black Widow
1: but like uh, like, but that's just a given we'll considering see. I'm an MCU we'll boy so yeah you know we'll see what happens I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, you know I'm confident I'm confident <laughs> I, got, I, I got you know after, after what
0: Scarlett Johansson did in Jojo Rabbit you know
1: Props to my girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I got nothing against her as an actress, but I just, I just, I keep backflipping. I just don't feel like this is a film that I'm needing to see. But you know, obviously, I will, obviously fight I will you go to see the it. Death with that. I will. Sorry, I will fight you to the death for that. <laughs> so, not literally. Um, yeah. I, I think you know, it's. I definitely want to see different characters have their moment in, uh, in the MCU. But to be honest, this is this is me speaking honestly right now. MCU, uh, comic book films in general. I I do. I am getting a second breath of uh, fatigue again. Mm. So, I kind of want to watch other stuff and then, you know, sort of go see a comic book film, see it, and then go watch other stuff again. Because there's there's times when the schedule is like. CBM, 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 CBM and that's all you're seeing and it all blurs into one like I think it happens every year around blockbuster season Yeah. so watching something else to sort of break it up will help a lot so yeah. and yeah we'll see how we
1: go and if Kevin Fargy's is listening don't listen to him uh, don't listen to him Kevin <laughs> just you keep backing up them MCU films for your boy mate
0: look I, I do like the MCU don't get me wrong but uh, I am liking the idea of seeing something that doesn't have powers so. fair enough cool well look that is probably a wrap for this episode uh, look thanks for joining me Carlo on this wild cinematic journey thanks for listening to this guys check out thisisfilm.com check out our Facebook page check out our Twitter Instagram kind of exists but you know it's 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 led by a ghost or something like that. I'm this. working
1: on it I'm working on it, it guys I'm yeah, working you're on
0: working it. on everything man you can't <laughs> do it all so look, if you want to run our Instagram account please send us a message that'd be great look uh, keep enjoying films uh, keep watching 150 films in 2020 and let me know what you watch keep entering our competitions have a wonderful wonderful week and we'll see you soon
1: that man is playing galaga thought we wouldn't notice but we did